Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, March 10th, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week in the Iowa legislature, the follow-up to the first funnel was just as much a whirlwind. Governor Kim Reynolds made her pick to be the next director of the state education department. And this weekend is the starting gun to the 2020-24, sorry, 2024 Republican Iowa caucuses. The 2020-24 ones are a little further off. We'll get to those later. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. With me this week, our Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief, Tom Barton. Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon, Aaron. We have Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief, Caleb McCullough. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Aaron. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is here, fresh off a hot assignment that we'll get to later. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. And finally, we have Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Greetings, Jared. We are ever new, Aaron. We are ever new. Ooh, that, I don't recognize that one. Yeah. We'll leave that. I'll, I'll puzzle that out afterwards. We don't want to spoil it for the listen to these either. See if they can figure it out. Okay. First up this week, we, and uh, as a disclaimer, we here at the On Iowa Politics podcast apologize if this is starting to feel like a never-ending merry-go-round that no one can get off. But once again, a, if not the dominant theme of the legislative week was the legislation dealing with LGBTQ issues or non-issues, I suppose, depending on who you're talking to about these bills. Uh, the big one this week, it wasn't the only one, but the big one was the ban on gender affirming health care for transgender Iowans under 18, uh, which passed uh, with only Republican support through both the House and Senate. Uh, but not by all Republicans, as as we'll get to here eventually. Um, as of when I wrote this script late Thursday night, the bill had not yet been signed into law. And as we sit here and uh, cast our pod midday Friday, uh, still haven't heard the same. So as of now, it's still sitting on Governor Kim Reynolds' desk. I, I expect that that will get signed into law soon. We've not heard anything that would suggest a veto is coming. Uh, just a matter of time when that's signed. And then... Um, uh, after that, probably just a matter of time before a legal challenge is filed and, and it's in the court. So uh, on to that end, I'll, I'll kick off this discussion uh, here uh, by saying what, what maybe stood out most to me during the debates in both the House and Senate was what seemed like a pretty transparent strategy uh, by legislative Democrats to set up what surely will be, as I said, an eventual legal battle over this bill. Uh, and, and there's precedent for that. Uh, similar bills have faced legal challenges in multiple other states. Uh, there's every reason that uh, this one is destined for the courts as well. Um, and it sure seemed like Democrats were playing that long game uh, in floor debate this week because multiple Democratic legislators, again, in both chambers, um, asked questions of the Republicans who floor managed the bills uh, during debate, and that those questions pretty clearly were designed to get those Republicans to um, you know, sort of, I guess, confess that this bill prohibits, or, or another way to look at that, restricts uh, the access to health care for only a specific subset of the population, in this case, transgender Iowans. So, so it seemed pretty apparent that the Democrats were trying to provide some legal fodder um, for uh, lawyers here in the near future uh, who are going to be arguing uh, that this bill violates the Iowa Constitution, the Iowa Civil Rights Act. Uh, so that will obviously be interesting to watch 
play out once. And again, it, I'm making an assumption here, but I think it's a pretty safe assumption that this bill, um, once it's signed into law, winds up in the courts. Uh, get some other uh, folks input here too. Uh, Caleb, you covered floor debate in the House. I think you had one kind of eye and ear on the Senate, but for sure you watched the House debate. Uh, that got interesting at times, what, but I don't want to steal any from you. What were some moments that stood out to you during that House floor debate? Yeah, um, one thing that, that stood out to me that is kind of interesting is just kind of the the separate worlds that both parties seem to be operating in when it comes to the data behind this, the information that they're getting, and kind of how they're interpreting it. Um, and that's not exclusive to this issue in, in, in today's political world, but it, it's pretty, um, it was pretty striking uh, during that debate. Because you know the big supporters of of the bill and, and the people who spoke on the bill on the Republican side, um, Stephen Holt and Jeff Shipley, representatives, uh, pointed to you know a list of studies that they had or statements from medical organizations outside the U.S. that they said um, supported their position and that you know said that this uh, this care is you know dangerous in some cases or not that the data is weak that that these medical interventions for minors can help. Um, but obviously that that doesn't necessarily discount the fact that in the US, every major medical association uh, recommends these treatments and they have, you know, a raft of research that they cite when making that recommendation. Uh, the, you know, and even some of the information that was cited by the opponents, like the, uh, I'm not gonna remember the, the, the name of the acronym, but WPATH, a, a global kind of transgender health um, organization, you know, it was quoted as saying, or their, their guidelines were quoted as saying, you know, there's not robust uh, studies on long-term effects of, of these, th these uh, inventions in transgender youth, but they still, you know, looking at the propensity of the studies that that organization still recommends these interventions, you know, when it's warranted by the data. And um, yeah. so on the Democratic no, go ahead. And sorry, just to jump in and tack on that. And also it was interesting that that organization, which again was cited by uh, one of the House Republicans during debate, um, uh, you were right, and then they also have a very strongly worded statement in opposition to bills like the one that Republicans passed. So, um, so, so, so that's exactly right. That's a great point. That even within some of these studies, they found, you know, they they, they quoted certain um, passages, but uh, in some cases, the overall those organizations still recommend this treatment and still oppose bills like the ones that uh, got passed this week. Right. And, and, you know, on that point, the, the Democrats had, um, you know, pointed to those things and had, had their studies they pointed to. And, and you know, Austin Baith, who was a doctor, um, said, you know, you can cherry pick these studies that, that you think that you would find that support your claim. But, you know, these these medical organizations um, make their recommendations based on the preponderance of evidence and the overall kind of where that evidence points them. So, yeah, it's just kind of the different um uh, ways that that these uh, parties are, are looking at this this issue. Um, but you know that being said, in the House we did have some dissenting Republicans who didn't support the measure, and they gave pretty strong rebukes of of just how this legislation has been framed and how the session has been framed. Because um, you know Representative Brian Losey, um, a Republican who's been uh, you know voted against a, a, a few of these kind of pretty high profile bills, um, said you know the the message of, of his party this whole session has been parents' uh, choice. You know, you know, parents should have control over their children's education and their children's upbringing. But this bill is expressly taking away a decision that parents make with their child and in consultation with their doctors. So, 
you know, interesting to see the division in the party there as well. Yeah. And that was, uh, sorry, Tom, I'll get to you next. I, I just want to tack on to that. Um, and they, and Republicans had some response to that because they've clearly been hearing that, that the parents choice thing. And they talked about in both the house and Senate um, that look, there's other laws that we write that, that apply to minors, regardless of whether a parent would, you know, allow it or not. We had, you know, talking about underage drinking laws and, and, and other similar examples like that. A, a minor can't go get a tattoo, even if a parent wants to bless it, that, those kinds of things. Um, but, but I don't think it's, it's I, I at least can certainly appreciate and understand why that argument is being presented because uh, the, the messaging has been fairly consistent and plentiful over the last couple of years in myriad arenas, uh, parents' choice, parents' choice, parents' choice, parents' choice. And, and here, apparently, we found the, the red line to that. Go ahead, Tom. Oh, I was just going to add, following up on what Caleb had to say, I thought it was interesting, the um, amendment that was put forward by Republican Megan Jones of uh, Sioux Rapids um, that would have allowed the care with parents' consent, uh, a practice that already happens, but that um, majority Republicans uh, in her own party voted that amendment down. The other thing that was somewhat striking to me is compared to that we we really haven't seen a lot of backlash from business groups to this bill as well as other um LGBT anti LGBTQ related bills um like the one with regards to um prohibiting transgender students from using the bathroom or changing facility that aligns with with their gender identity you know there was um you know strong intense um corporate backlash to that in other states notably north carolina yep. and florida um but but you really haven't up up to this point at least seen a lot of that backlash here in iowa although maybe that is starting to build um i i did think that it was somewhat interesting this week that um, Kyle Cross, whose family owns the convenience store chain Come and Go, tweeted out uh, Thursday saying that uh, bills like these aren't just an attack on LGBTQ Iowans, they're an attack on all of us. Um, and you had a group of about a dozen Ankeny businesses this week also released a statement opposing GOP-backed legislation, including this bill um, targeting LGBTQ Iowans. Um, stating that uh, the, 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 quote, hateful and discriminatory legislation will directly impact our business's ability to find and retain employees and customers to, to thrive in our state. Yeah, and if I can just real quick add to that, I, I, I thought the Ankeny one was interesting too, if only because, look, it's just, just a, what was it, about a dozen or so businesses in one Des Moines suburb, not a huge representation of this whole full state of Iowa. But it is interesting to me because, because it's Ankeny, and not because I live in Ankeny, but because if you've been following Iowa politics for the last four years or so, maybe a little bit longer, Ankeny has been a very interesting place, politically speaking, in Iowa, both in how it's kind of part of those suburbs that have seen uh, shifts in voter patterns and how it was ground zero for some of uh, these issues that we're now having legislation about uh, and have been, whether it's regarding the mask policies in school, Ankeny was a ground zero for that, um, and 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 um, and now with some of the LGBTQ stuff, because there's been complaints that but that there was a, a drag show uh, held on one of the Ankeny school campuses 
uh, last year. So, so, so in this community that's had some very interesting things happening politically in the handful of uh, last years, I, it was interesting uh, uh, to me that uh, that's where one of these, you're right, Tom, the statements have been more rare than in other states. And I think even in past years, I feel like when these kinds of bills have been introduced in previous sessions, we did hear a little more pushback than from some of those Iowa business groups than we're hearing this year now that they're actually being passed, uh, which is interesting. And I'm sorry, Jared, were you going to throw something in there or did I misread your body language? Uh, no. Um, so one of the things that uh, Tom mentioned, Tom mentioned the um, amendment that uh, Megan Jones had to the bill. And I talked to her yesterday and I asked her about that, among a number of other things. And with that in particular, she said, um, I think had it made it through the procedural barrier, there would have been a tougher conversation for folks because people don't want to vote against parental choice. So I thought that that particular insight on on that amendment um, failing was um, <laughs> remarkable, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's a good point and a good clarification, because the way the amendment failed was that it was ruled not germane to the bill. And uh, so the majority party, so that's um, a way to vote something down without voting on its actual content. You know, you can, now both sides are going to spin that. Republicans are going to say, hey, I wasn't voting on the content of the bill. I was voting procedurally to not consider it because it was considered not relevant to the bill. Democrats are going to say, look, you were voting to not debate it, so that was your de facto vote on it. But but it's a good clarification and and speaks to, and that's an interesting comment from Representative Jones that she thinks if they would have been forced to not have that delineation and just have a straight vote on the proposal, that would have been a much different and much tougher conversation for some Republicans. So that's that's really interesting. That's a and good note. And while we're mentioning too, um, folks kind of, you know, spinning some things with like studies and everything like that. Another one that uh, happened that I uh, noticed because it's from my uh, home state. Uh, Jeff Shipley cited a whistleblower story from St. Louis uh, when talking about the bill. And last week, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch put out a story that just shot holes up and down in the the whistleblower uh, story. If you haven't read the St. Louis Post-Dispatch story, it's well worth reading because it is really strong local journalism. Yeah, that's a good one. And I think uh, Caleb or Tom, help me out here. I think one of the House Democrats mentioned that during debate, right? Then they could pop up later and say, just to add some context to that particular anecdote. Yeah, it was J.D. Shulton from Susidia. That's right. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. Okay. All right. So anyways, uh, now, now, like I said, now the next step for this particular bill um, is when Governor Reynolds signs it into law, again, presuming sooner than later. It may even already have happened by the time you're listening to this podcast. Um, and then uh, the, 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 the legal uh, procedures over that um, already happening in at least four other states and, and likely to happen here again in Iowa. If uh, um, if I can tease a little more from uh, me uh, talking with uh, Megan Jones, a uh, story coming out tomorrow. Um, yeah, you know, Caleb talked about the um, framing around parental choice for the folks who voted against it. And when I talked to her, you know, I was expecting that as well. But that's not really what happened when I talked to her. She flat out um, told me at one point. Um, the legislature is coming in and literally intervening with the kids' health care and their current treatment path. And so that's a big problem for a lot of people. And 
She also said uh, that she's an Iowan who has been, quote, impacted by people who may be transgendered or gay or lesbian or just a supporter of the LGBTQ community. And so, again, when I was, you know, talking with her, I was expecting that to be framed around uh, parents' choice because it seems like that would make the most sense uh, for a no vote as a Republican. But that was not really what happened at all when I talked to her on the phone yesterday. That is interesting. So you say tomorrow, that's um, Saturday, 10 sections. And, yes. and online at scj, not scj.com. What, what is the app? SiouxCityJournal.com. It's the full spell out. Okay, SiouxCityJournal.com. Yep. So watch out for that one. Um, oh, shoot. I was just going to add something. Oh, yeah. That just made me think, and and, uh, and you mentioned um, uh, kind of some of the debate points and, and one other one that I thought was worth raising. I, just because it felt a little, and, and I, don't, I don't think I'm venturing outside of, 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 reporting here in, in offering opinion, because look, we're, it's part of our job is to point out inconsistencies or, or exaggerations. Um, one of the arguments that I kept hearing from Republicans is that children are too young to be making this decision. And I think, it, think it's fair to point out here that no transgender kid is making this decision on their own. And, and we had multiple families and, and doctors uh, tell lawmakers this. Uh, but I, I I just felt that that was one of the debate uh, points that merited um, some added context and scrutiny because n- no fourteen year old kid is is walking into a plastic surgeon's office and being given uh, surgery without a whole community of other people being involved in the decisions. Like, th- this is a decision that weighs on the 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 young person for a long time. They talk about it with their family for a long time before they ever even get to a doctor. And then they consult with doctors and consider all kinds of options. This is a multi-month, if not multi-year process um, um, that happens before they get into these treatments. So that was another one that I thought merited just a little um, addendum, (laughs) if you will. Okay, moving on, because we've got so much to cover and and so little time. Um, Also passed this week out of the Iowa Senate was Governor Kim Reynolds' sweeping state government reorganization bill. Um, And I'm going to get this one rolling, too. It's good to be the host. Uh, By saying that, uh, again, what stood out to me in that one was that, and I've asked this question, I've wondered, uh, I think I've said on the podcast, to me, what's going to be most interesting is, and so what happened was Senate Republicans did not amend Reynolds' proposal in any meaningful way. There was an amendment, but it was mostly clerical stuff. you know, terminology, punctuation, that kind of stuff. No changes of any significance to the nearly 1,600-page bill. So that means the concerns that were raised about the proposal, and to be fair, for a proposal this big, the concerns were, relatively speaking, few, uh, but there were some, um, uh, and those concerns were not addressed by Senate Republicans. That uh, Jason Schultz, the senator who spoke on the bill, said he did the homework on the, all the concerns, and he felt that the bill was fine as is. So the blind and deaf Iowans who had had concerns about uh, the way their state program's leadership could be changed, workers in community-based corrections programs who had concerns about those programs being placed under the state corrections department's umbrella, uh, child welfare advocates who expressed worry about the child advocacy board being placed in the health and human services department, no legislative action was taken on any of those concerns. The, 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 the proposal stands as was originally post, proposed. And so I guess that's a real home run for Governor Reynolds and Guidehouse, huh? They, they batted a thousand 
in their 1,600-page uh, bill. Um, it'll be interesting now as that one moves to the House, House Republicans feel the same way and send a clean bill to the governor or if they want to make um, some changes. Speaking of this massive bill and its massive impact on the executive branch of state government, Tom, you're filing our team's latest report on the proposal uh, without giving away the farm so we still get those sweet, sweet clicks. Uh, what are you uh, looking into for this story? Yeah, so you mentioned the concerns by blind Iowans, um, and following up on that, we also heard concerns from uh, Democratic lawmakers during the, the Senate debate, but have also heard from um, a couple of uh, state employees um, who are concerned about moving uh, vocational rehabilitation services from the Department of Education to Iowa Workforce Development and saying that there's concerns that um, in doing that, it would um, in, inhibit their ability to um, draw down or access federal funding for those services provided to uh, disabled Iowans. Um, it would also uh, make it more difficult to partner with school districts and to access educational records um, for the students that, that they work with to provide um, these um, uh, the, the, these these employment services and, and, and opportunities. Um, you know, the, the the job training programs that vocational rehabilitation services provides. Um, and then um, also looking at, uh, so we received uh, an analysis from the nonpartisan legislative service agency that estimates the reorganization would result in the elimination of 214, excuse me, 214 full-time equivalent positions and results in, um, I think, 12.4 or 12 and a half million uh, in, in lessons in spending per year, um, whereas uh, Governor Reynolds and Republican lawmakers have said that um, this merger would happen without laying off any state employees and um, that um, it would save uh, an estimated $215 million, um, over the next um, four years by eliminating more than 500 unfilled positions. Um, but LSA in its fiscal note um, talks about um, it's not clear whether these full-time equivalent positions that would be eliminated are filled or unfilled. Um, so there's still kind of this, this question mark of, um, you know, could state employees lose their jobs? Um, would they have to reapply for their jobs? Are they going to have to re-interview? Um, there's just a lot of, of questions about um, this massive state government reorganization and how, how that's going to work out in practicality and what that's going to mean for state employees um, as you look at um, consolidating these, these cabinet-level agencies and reducing these FTE positions. Yeah, that's good. That's um... That, that's interesting, Tom. Uh, so it's Sunday, right? Watch for that story in Sunday's Gazette and, and online. Yeah, yeah. So uh, again, as we've been talking about, massive bill, um, um, massive impact, and, and uh, watch for Tom's story uh, this weekend. That's going to be another interesting one. Um, moving on, uh, is, again, as I said at the top, these few days here, 
certainly feel like the shot from the starting gun that officially starts uh, the marathon race to the February 2024 Republican Iowa caucuses. Uh, so today, which again is Friday, we're recording midday Friday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is making his first trip to Iowa, very high profile and long anticipated uh, first trip to Iowa. And our very own Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times uh, covered this morning's event in Davenport. Uh, fantastic reporter that she is. She's already filed her story. I'm, I'm guessing, Sarah, it's, uh, it's already online. Um, uh, I don't know that for sure because I've been running around myself. But um, And then later this evening, our very own Aaron Murphy, that's me, uh, will cover DeSantis' second event of the day at the Iowa State Fairgrounds in Des Moines. Um, so, uh, Sarah, you were there this morning. Tell us a little bit about this morning event. And again, without giving away the farm, so people uh, still want to read your story and, and give uh, the Quad City Times all those sweet, sweet clicks. Yes. Well, if anyone was expecting an announcement that Ron DeSantis is running for president, they did not get su such an explicit uh uh, specific announcement, but he did talk a lot about Florida and um, and the policies and legislation that Florida has pushed over the last couple of years. Um, he really he talked, and it, it, it's really interesting how many parallels he and Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds drew between Iowa and Florida. Um, so, and I should say it was uh, it was kind of an interview style event. Governor DeSantis talked for most of it, um, but Governor Reynolds gave him a, a warm welcome. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of parallels, I think, between Iowa and Florida and these two governors. They're both Republicans, both elected to their first full terms in 2018, um, both dealt with the pandemic, were very resistant to lockdowns and mandates, and then um, won in landslide elections in 2022 and now have... Um, and I should say, well, DeSantis, I think, pushed the furthest more before the 2022 midterm elections, but, you know, both states have um, really pushed uh, this anti-woke agenda. Um, he said several times that, uh, well, he said at least once that Florida is where woke goes to die, um, and that uh, he thought that the, the woke virus was infecting the left and Democrats. So, um, Did he give a definition but, at any point of what uh, woke means, by chance? Did that, uh, did that come up? Um, you know, now that you say that, I would have to go back to my notes, but I don't think that he gave a, a strict definition. But, um, but yeah, but so, 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 uh, you know, the Iowa just passed its um, restrictions on on public investment on com uh, environmental social governance. Um, Florida did that already. Uh, you know school choice. Florida is considering expanding its school choice to um, people of any income. So anyway, there's just a lot of parallels that they tried to draw between each other. Well, and there's a lot of parallels to draw, right? And, and uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we uh, quote unquote went on the air here uh, or, or hit the record button that uh, a, a lot of the, the bills that you've seen uh, in Florida, I think was First to most of them, maybe with the exception of the school choice bill, at least to the degree that Governor Reynolds uh, went this year, um, um, she maybe be blurred Florida to the punch on that one. Um, but very similar uh, legislative agendas, and I think I'm teasing uh, another weekend story. Uh, maybe am I am I not? Uh, and I can't keep track anymore. Tom or Caleb, whose is that one? The the mirroring mirroring. Uh, 
legislative agendas uh, that you're seeing across the country? Tom did the yeoman's work on that, but I, I had uh, Okay, okay, so you both had your hands in it. So there's another one uh, uh, to watch for um, this weekend. Um, and one one thing, sorry, that I just want to add, and oh, you know, if people are looking to DeSantis, like what, how he might campaign or how he might govern, govern if if he, you know, eventually runs for or is elected president. He talked, he kind of gave a clue about that in um, talking about his 2018 run. He won a very narrow election, but uh, ignored advice to kind of stay as a moderate and. Um, he, he, he said that, uh, he was, he may have only gotten 50% of the votes, but he was given a hundred percent of the executive office's power. So he was going to, um, uh, enact his campaign promises and, and, and do what, uh, and stand up for what he thought was right. So if that, I think, I think kind of gives a playbook of, you know, he thinks, in order to win, Republicans need to be on the offensive and aggressive with their policies. Um, and so that's, I think, is a is a window into how he would campaign for president. Yeah, that is a good one. That's a good one, Sarah. Thanks. It's going to be interesting to me, too, just really quick here. Um, as Because Iowa, uh, it's going to be interesting to me to see where Iowa Republicans, especially elected officials and anyone who's going to get in the game of endorsing or maybe even working for a campaign, you know, being being the face of a campaign in Iowa, a presidential campaign in Iowa, we see that a, a lot of these caucus style cycle. It's going to be interesting to see where uh, Iowa Republicans fall uh, with some of these candidates, and especially the big two, uh, Donald Trump, who, oh, by the way, is coming uh, to town, uh, coming back to see Sarah in Davenport on Monday. Um, uh, we already saw State Representative Bobby Kaufman um, hired on to the Trump campaign. It's going to be interesting to see some more of those dominoes uh, fall as, as, the, um, as the season goes on. And, and, and on that note, again, uh, Sarah, both Sarah and our very own Tom Barton will be covering former President Trump and his first trip to Iowa this year uh, for that event back in Davenport at the Adler Theater, which, uh, by the way, I saw Book of Mormon at the Adler in 2018. Uh, I suspect uh, Monday's crowd will be slightly different. Um, I'm uh I'm expecting some uh, uh some vibes based reporting uh from the 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 Trump event like I did uh, in November. Um, I, I want to know is who let the dogs out still in the playlist rotation? Um, has has Mike Lindell shown up? How many merch tents are there out, outside? You know, paint paint the picture. You know, <laughs> there you go. You've got your assignment, Tom and Sarah. The info we need to know. I will say, man, and I think I said this before. The Trump campaign event pre-event playlist is the most fascinating collection of music I've ever heard in my life. Just the spectrum is, is incredible. It's amazing. All, uh, all crescendoing with Macho Man or YMCA. <laughs> right, right. Oh, man. We, we got uh, very little bit time here on our countdown, but just real quick, uh, Tom, I wanted to touch base with you on this. Man, we got so much to cover, and we're leaving out other big news that happened this week, including that big auditor's bill. So I guess stay tuned to next week's podcast, maybe. But um, this week, Governor Reynolds named her pick to be the next director of the state education department. Uh, this pick's got an interesting background, Tom. Tell us who the pick is and in, the, in, in 60 seconds here, a little bit about him. So Governor Reynolds chose Chad Aldis, an Iowa native with degrees in economics and law and who has experience working for multiple charter school and private school choice think tanks, 
all this succeeds Ann Lebo, who announced last month she's stepping down from Iowa's Department of Education, which set standards for K-12 schools and oversees the state's community colleges to pursue other opportunities. Lebo leaves the department shortly after Republican state lawmakers and Reynolds approved a new $345 million private school financial aid package and with dozens of public education related bills swirling through the Iowa legislature. As I mentioned, um, all this is uh, an Iowa native, grew up in Comanche and graduated from Clinton High School. And he currently serves as vice president of Ohio policy at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, where he began working in 2013. He's provided testimony and worked with the state's governor and lawmakers and, and education officials on school funding, charter school accountability, graduation requirements, and private school choice, um, according to his, his biography on the Institute's website. So that has led to some concerns among Democrats and critics of the governor that um, all this lacks uh, teaching experience or serving as a school administrator, unlike Lebo, who holds doctorate degrees in education administration. She previously served as executive director of the Iowa Board of Educational Examiners. She was a secondary school principal and taught English for 17 years. Um, and so Iowa House Minority Leader Jennifer Conforst, a Democrat from Windsor Heights, um, jumped on that and criticized Reynolds' pick as, quote, all about politics. She said, not only has the governor's new appointee never worked or taught in a public school, he's a lobbyist who's worked for special interest groups that push private school vouchers. Um, yeah, sorry, it's, it's uh, it, I mean, I, I guess it shouldn't come as a terrible surprise, but it's certainly um, an interesting and noteworthy pick. Obviously, uh, the governor got her uh, private school um, financial aid bill passed. There's a big program coming down the pipeline, and here we have a new um, state education department director who's uh, well-versed in those kinds of programs. Uh, it'll just be interesting to see, because also, lest we forget, he's got more than 300-some public school districts under his <laughs> purview. Here too, uh, and not and and again, I'm not you know implying that someone can't do both, but just just the uh, you know the it, it's certainly interesting and noteworthy that the professional uh, background there uh, of this pick. So um, uh, never a dull time in Iowa government and politics, and uh, uh, that's just uh, gives us more <laughs> to keep an eye on going into the future. And we'll get to that in a future episode of On Iowa Politics. Uh, but for that, that's, that's, that's it for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, tell your friends and subscribe to us on streaming audio services like iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, hashtag branding, where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that On Iowa Politics newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget, as we said throughout the show today, that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids 
Gazette. Um, every, literally everybody here has, and I, you know, humbly feel like we all always do, but this weekend we all have some great stuff coming. Uh, so, so, so keep your eye out, uh, keep those clicking fingers ready uh, and, and check out that coverage uh, over the weekend. Tone DeBoss will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, and our producer Bailey, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening. Shopping at the stores. I'ma hit the pool, no, I'ma hit the beach. Once everything open, I'ma wait a couple weeks. Is it safe? Cool, let's make moves. Time for a selfie, let's take two. Still got my job, so I'm thinking. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa friendly device to get a bite sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.